Thank you. Good morning, everybody. If you're just checking us out online for the first time, we are so happy to have you joining with us. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we just hope that this whole service is an encouragement to you. Earlier this week, we had a pretty windy storm, and a bunch of us lost power for a bit, and it reminded me of a storm I remember driving through several years ago. My brother and I had been out with some friends. We had driven together, and just as it came time to leave, the storm really started picking up. It had already been raining for a while, but the thunder got more intense, and the wind was really starting to howl. As we drove along, a few smaller twigs fell, hitting the car, and there were some much bigger branches we saw already blown down by the side of the road. We kept driving, and there was a part of the trip where we had to go down this road for a long time before it connected with any other streets. And as we got almost to the end of it, we saw that there was this big tree that had fallen right across the road, blocking the way. We stopped the car, and we decided we'd just get out and move it. We didn't want to have to backtrack, go backwards, and do that whole trip again. So we jumped out into the rain. We dug in our feet. We both got our hands out, got a good grip on the tree, and it didn't move at all. It, it, it turned out that trees are way heavier than we realized. Either that or we just weren't nearly as strong as we thought. But we couldn't clear the road, so we got back in the car soaking wet. We just sat there for a minute with the headlights shining on the tree, just feeling stuck. It was completely blocking us off from going any further, and of course we could turn around and go backwards, and we did, but that just felt frustrating. Usually we would have been able to just go straight ahead without being stopped like that. Many of you have probably struggled with a similar feeling recently, just feeling stuck. Maybe it's because you can't be around a lot of the people that energize you, or you're not able to do many of the activities you usually enjoy because you're trying to stay at home as much as possible right now. Maybe it's because you have important events in your life like a graduation or a wedding that are getting put on hold. Maybe you feel stuck because something as simple as going to the grocery store suddenly means waiting in a massive line before you can even get in. Maybe you feel stuck because you've been laid off or lost a job or you know people that are sick and you just feel like there's nothing you can really do about it. For a lot of us, it feels like everything has come to a grinding halt. And that may feel the same way about how we're feeling about church, too. You know, usually we can all worship here together on a Sunday morning. Many of you are used to seeing each other in small groups or at other events and serving alongside each other in various ways, but that all looks very different right now. In our everyday lives and even as a church, it may feel like we're just kind of stuck right now, just kind of hanging in there, waiting until our circumstances change. We celebrated Easter last Sunday, and 2,000 years ago, right after the original Easter, when Jesus rose from the dead, the very first church was just getting started. And as they tried to figure out who they were and how to live in this new reality, there were a lot of reasons for them to feel stuck, too. Those very first Christians had nothing going for them. Their religion was brand new, so that meant it had no credibility. Their central teaching was too miraculous to be believable. They had very little money and resources, minimal technology to share their message, and no proven leaders. In fact, you could say the leaders they did have had already proven that they just weren't cut out for the job. These early followers of Jesus were Jewish, and they thought of themselves as a continuation of Judaism, but their local religious leaders started to see them as a heretical sect or a dangerous cult 
And they lived under the domination of a repressive Roman regime that started to see them as treasonous revolutionaries who weren't willing to give their allegiance to the emperor. They were chased down, beaten up, arrested, imprisoned, and executed. Based on these circumstances, they should have been stuck. But somehow, in the midst of all these obstacles, in their first 30 years, they grew from a tiny group of barely 100 people to thousands upon thousands of Jesus followers who kept increasing and expanding. They lived in a society separated by class and gender and race, and yet they became a unified church that started to break down these barriers, sharing with each other and supporting each other. They endured persecution that could have wiped them out or just caused them to give up, but they wouldn't quit bringing healing and hope and joy to new people and new places. They went from a scared handful hiding behind locked doors in an insignificant corner of the empire to a church of believers that multiplied across dozens of countries and hundreds of major cities until they started taking a foothold right in the capital of Rome. Based on their circumstances, they should have been stuck. They should have had nowhere to go and nothing to grow into. But despite all these obstacles, the church of Jesus kept on moving. For most of us, 2,000 years ago feels like the ancient past. But even so, we think there's a lot we can learn from the way God moved among the first church. So today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Acts, the Church in Motion. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be reading through the book of Acts together and listening for what God wants to say to us in this right now. If you want to read along with us, let me just say right up front that it's helpful to read with a Bible that you find easy to understand. I'm going to be referencing the NLT version today because I think it's well translated and just very easy to read, but there's many different options out there. Now, the book of Acts is one of the biggest books in the New Testament. The New Testament is the second half of the Bible. It starts off with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that explain the life of Jesus while he's on earth. And then right after that comes the book of Acts. And Acts is actually the second part of a two-part work. Um, there's a doctor and a researcher named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, covering the life and work of Jesus, and then he wrote Acts after that, which is the second volume. And originally, these two would come together, paired together, one right after the other. And Acts starts off right after Jesus has been killed on the cross, he's raised from the dead, and he's, lived, he's with his followers for a little bit longer before he leaves earth and he sends the Holy Spirit to be with his people. The very first verse in the book of Acts says, In my first book I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And because it says began, the implication here is that the book of Acts is going to be about a many whole bunch of things that Jesus continues to do and teach, only now he's not doing it directly in person, but he's doing it through the Holy Spirit working in his followers who are called the church. The book of Acts then goes on to cover the first 30 years of Christianity. And it's an amazing story about the earliest followers of Jesus who should have been completely stuck and stonewalled by their circumstances, but somehow they never stopped moving and multiplying. And we can look at this incredible account and ask questions like, what does it mean to be the church when you don't have a building to meet in? What does it mean to follow Jesus together when you actually can't meet up however and whenever you want? 
What does it mean to reach out and love your neighbors when it feels like there are so many barriers between you and them? The church in the book of Acts should have been stuck, but the Spirit of God kept moving in remarkable ways. And if we listen for the voice of God, I think he'll continue speaking through this and have all kinds of things to say about how we can continue to be the church in motion right now, too. So let's pause for a minute to pray, and then after that, I want to open up the book of Acts and get started. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your word is timeless. The story may be about something that happened a long time ago, but it shows us how powerfully you moved through the first church. And God, I know that's what you want to keep doing, and all you ask is that we are open to it. So God, help us to hear your voice and speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's open up to Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 11. If you want to follow along, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So starting off, Acts 1, right at verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here? staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The title of the series is Acts, the Church in Motion. And it's about how the church is a movement, but if you look closely at this passage we just read, you'll notice that there are multiple different directions this movement could go. And the first potential direction is inward. Let me explain that for a minute. The first disciples of Jesus were Jewish, and they had grown up in the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And actually, for the last 600 years, their country had spent a lot of time under the rule of multiple different empires. First, it was the Babylonians that took over Israel, then the Persian Empire, then Alexander the Great and the Greeks came in, and finally the Roman Empire was now in power and ruling over them. And these disciples were familiar with the Old Testament and the prophecies in it about how a Messiah, a king, would come to restore the kingdom and bring them deliverance. So naturally, many of the first followers of Jesus expected him to gather up an army or use his miraculous powers to get rid of the big, bad Roman Empire. Now, when Jesus was crucified on this cross, this plan seemed to get thrown off a little bit, but when he rose again, suddenly that just felt like a bump in the road. And I think some of these disciples were thinking, all right, this, this right here, this is the time we've been waiting for. So while Jesus is with them again at the beginning of Acts, the apostles are probably thinking, it's go time. So in verse 6, it says, they asked Jesus, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They have this assumption that Jesus is finally ready to kick off a national movement. The time has come to get rid of the Romans and make Israel the powerhouse again. And as a side benefit, since these are the core guys that have been following Jesus since the very beginning of his ministry, they're in line for some pretty cushy roles when Jesus takes over in this new kingdom too. 
They're looking inward. And given their history of oppression, it's totally understandable. But they think this is going to be a movement that focuses inward. And so their mentality is, what can Jesus do for us? What can Jesus do for our people? Now, Jesus flips things around a bit when he answers them, but I actually want to jump past his answer just for the moment and look at the end of our passage first, starting with verse 9. If you look at verses 9 through 11, you'll see how Jesus was taken up into a cloud as his disciples watched, and this is referred to as the ascension, the ascension. It's the moment when Jesus leaves earth and returns to heaven. Now, this event, the ascension, is powerful and full of meaning all on its own but we don't have time to unpack everything today. So I want to invite you, if you haven't already, go to our Facebook page. You can find it by searching Trinity North Reading, and we're doing daily reflections. And if you look back a couple days ago, this past Thursday and Friday, Pastor Kirk actually shared in depth about the ascension, and you can go explore a lot more of that there. But having said that, Jesus disappears in a cloud, rising up into the sky, and his disciples stand there, and it says they were straining to see him. Imagine a time when you were outside and someone let go of a balloon and you're watching it float away and at first you can see it fine, but eventually you're squinting and you're not sure if you can still see it or if it's disappeared on you. I think that's what it's kind of like as it says they're straining to see Jesus here. We don't know exactly how long they're standing there, but at some point two angels appear right next to them and ask, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Now, this may seem like a silly question. They obviously know that Jesus just made a pretty dramatic exit, but it's a rhetorical question. They're asking this because Jesus actually just gave the disciples another direction to move in right before he left, and instead they're stuck gazing upward. And they need someone to snap them back to the reality of their new mission. The disciples are tempted to look off towards heaven and get lost, imagining another dimension, wishing They could go off and join Jesus. But the movement God is calling them to isn't meant to get stuck staring upward like that. It's not very hard for us to get pulled in the wrong direction, moving inward or looking upward either. There are a lot of reasons our faith can start to turn inward, only focused on ourselves or our immediate family or maybe just the people closest to us. Maybe we lose sight of the bigger picture when we're busy or we get too caught up in our own ambitions, too tempted to focus on our own comfort, or too overwhelmed by our fears. In any of these situations, my faith can start to get funneled into a self-centered system where my thoughts just become filled with what I want Jesus to do for me and how I want him to improve my life above all else. And when we're living in the middle of an unprecedented shutdown, this may sneak up on some of us who don't normally even struggle with it. Our self-protective instincts might kick in and cause us to hoard all kinds of things without considering who will be left in need when the supplies run low. I've never been a very fearful person, but when this all started ramping up, I started to kind of imagine in my head the different ways it could go, just kind of running through scenarios, wondering what things would be like. And I quickly realized that all my initial thoughts were pretty much only focused on what it would be like for me and my family. It took much longer than I would have expected, at least than I would have hoped, for me to start thinking about creative ways we could serve and help out others. Some of us may be in real financial need right now, but maybe others aren't, but yet 
we're still in line to get a stimulus check. If I'm not experiencing any financial loss in the midst of this crisis, should I be looking at this check as just my lucky break to get ahead of everyone else? Or is there another way God might be inviting me to think through this? We can look inward as individuals, but in some cases that can also become the personality of a church. If we move inward, we begin to see ourselves as a club that's meant to cater to the members. We start to hold on to our personal preferences, or we refuse to be flexible or open to change, even if that means we're building barriers between the gospel and our neighbors. An inward-moving faith shapes us to be self-centered or insider-focused. And in our consumeristic society, it's so easy to accidentally adopt this outlook without even realizing it's affecting us. But that's not the only way our movement can veer off course. Instead of following the direction of Jesus, we can get stuck staring upward just like those first disciples. Now, I want to clarify what I mean by this because it may be confusing. It is good to look to God before anything else, to center our lives around Him, to worship Him with everything we do. And so that's not what I'm talking about when I say we shouldn't be looking upward. What I am talking about is something called escapism. Escapism is defined as avoiding reality by distracting yourself with entertainment or fantasizing about another situation you'd rather be in. And there's a very particular brand of Christian escapism that we can sometimes struggle with. When life gets hard or we get overwhelmed by the state of the world around us, we can start to think, man, I can't wait to get away from this meaningless world and just be in heaven. Or maybe in our current situation, we're tempted to block everything out and imagine, what will it be like when I can really start living again? Now, there is absolutely room to lament and to cry out to God about what is going on right now. And there is truth that in the future, we have a promise of living directly in the presence of Jesus. But what happens right here and right now, what God wants to do among us, even in the midst of this, is not to be overlooked or taken lightly. The church of Jesus is always in motion, but it's not meant to turn inward or stare upward. So where is this movement going? I want to turn back to our passage now, and if you look at it again, you'll see that when the disciples ask an inward-focused question, Jesus answers by redirecting them. And this is the very last thing Jesus says right before he lifts off into the clouds too, so you know this is critical. The disciples ask Jesus if it's time to restore the kingdom, and Jesus says, don't worry about exact dates and times for that kind of thing, but this is the important part. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, verse 8 right here is considered the thesis statement or the outline of the entire book of Acts. As we travel through the rest of this book, we're going to see the church in motion as God's people move outward in the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse is going to come alive as the Spirit of God moves them outward, impacting their city and then their country and then the entire empire around them. The disciples start by looking inward because they think the Old Testament prophecies mean that they should expect Jesus to kick off a nationalistic, insider-focused movement. But they're actually missing some key passages where God had already spoke of moving outward and reaching the whole world with his kingdom. In Genesis chapter 12, right near the very beginning of the Bible, God, God called Abraham. And as he gave Abraham his unique 
purpose in life. Part of what he said was, you will be a blessing to others, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Later on, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus is, in fact, launching launching the kingdom here, but it's going to look a lot different than these disciples expected. It's going to break down barriers and move outward, extending an invitation to all people everywhere. But how? How is this kingdom going to grow in such stifling circumstances? How is God's church going to move outward once Jesus ascends to heaven and they're left with flawed leaders, little resources, and both the local authorities in the empire are starting to see them as a threat? The church is going to move because these people surrender themselves to Jesus. They trust in God and they open themselves up to the power of the Holy Spirit who's going to work in them all kinds of things that they could never do on their own. Because no matter the circumstances, the church of Jesus is always in motion, moving outward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just found us online today and you don't really know where I'm coming from here, or if you've just been hurt by Christians in the past, I do want to clarify that when I talk about the early church moving outward and expanding, I'm not talking about them conquering other people. They did not come with an attitude of trying to take control over anyone. They moved in love, bringing hope and healing and supporting those in need. Now, I know that's not everyone's experience of the church today, and we are broken just like everyone else, desperately in need of God's grace. But this is what the church is meant to be like when we are listening to and led by the Spirit of God. When people are rooted in Jesus and filled with His Spirit, there's a natural momentum that pushes us outwards to serve and share the love of Jesus. And some of you want nothing more than to be a part of that. But maybe right now you're thinking, how can we move outward or even move at all in our current crisis? I totally get it. I feel confined to, and I don't have all the answers, but I can't ignore the fact that everything was stacked against the early church, and yet God moved powerfully through them. At first, they were meeting in synagogues, which were sort of like their church buildings. It was the only way they knew how to worship together. But soon enough, they got thrown out of those, and they had to figure something else out. The authorities started getting suspicious of them, and their public freedom was a little restricted. They couldn't move around the same way they wanted to before. Some of them got thrown in jail, and they were isolated. And they had to find a way to stay connected and continue communicating with each other. They seemed strange and confusing, even dangerous and radical. And that could have created a lot of space between them and their neighbors. And yet all those barriers got broken down. And the same spirit who is at work in them is at work in us today if we are open to him. Our current situation is certainly an obstacle, but if it's making us feel powerless, we need to remember whose power is moving in us. Our impact isn't built on our brilliant ideas, our all-out effort, or the perfect circumstances. It's built on a steady faithfulness that God moves in and his spirit multiplies. This shouldn't be surprising considering our current climate, but I learned this week that Google searches for prayer, church, and God are spiking significantly. What would it look like if we started searching 
for creative ways to respond to this and move out to serve the people around us with the love of Jesus. We could make it a habit to reach out, to connect, encourage, and listen to a few people a week with a call or FaceTime. And for some of us, that feels a little too direct, but I can tell you in this situation, that is warmly welcomed by almost everyone. We could offer to pick up or drop off groceries and supplies for our neighbors or anyone that is especially uh, vulnerable. We might even just want to drop off on doorsteps some gifts of encouragement once in a while. We could organize an order of coffee or snacks to be delivered to hospital staff or other frontline workers, or we could write cards for the people still ringing us up at the grocery store, collecting our trash or delivering our mail. We could be more intentional about interacting on social media in a way that reflects the love of Jesus. And that means not posting conspiracy theories, unfounded speculation, or mean-spirited political attacks. All of that hurts our witness and weakens our credibility. But most of all, we can build all this on top of consistent prayers for our neighbors and our community. I believe that God is doing powerful things in the midst of this pandemic, and I believe he's inviting us to be a part of that and work with him too. And that's why I want to invite you all to read along and study this book of Acts with us so we can listen for how God wants to speak to us through it for right now, for today. Because I think we'll see that no matter the circumstances, the church of Jesus is always in motion, moving outward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, there is so much you have done when we look back at all the situations that seemed so confining, so restrictive, but yet you worked and you did amazing things. God, many of us feel that way right now. We feel pretty stuck. We feel stopped. We feel like even if there are things we want to do, even if your heart is, is growing within us for, for the people around us, we don't know how to do that. God, I ask that you would lead us and you would speak to us as we study your word. Your living word, we ask that you would continue to speak to us and that you would powerfully move in us through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.